colleague, one of my best friends today still, we were teaching together. It was her first year teaching as well. And so we were lesson planning at her house. I had gone over. She's like, oh, hey, I have something for you. So she comes out of her kitchen with a bottle of Bogle. She's like, it's got your name on it. Have you seen this? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I've seen that. Hello and welcome to The Dine One Six, a food podcast about Sacramento, where we take you behind the scenes and introduce you to some of the people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen. My name's Max Connor. I'm your host, joined by my co-host, as always, Neil Little. Neil, what's going on, man? Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a journalism conversation here. This is what we call (laughs) burying the lead. First of all, big news coming from the podcast. Uh, Max has gotten a job. I don't mean to say that. I don't mean that to sound mocking, but like (laughs) we're all proud of him and we are glad that you are. I did have a job. It was just often very part-time producing podcasts for a studio here in Sacramento, which I'm still doing on a freelance basis. But yes, I've joined the many Sacramentans of a good paying, good benefits state job. So yeah. You know, it's funny growing up. You think you want to be an astronaut. Then you get to your 30s like, you know, that state job sounds real nice right now. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. You got a few kids. You got vacations you want to take, nicer cars you want to drive. Suddenly it's like, well, maybe this, you know, steady office job is a good way to go. Well, regardless, we just want to say congratulations. And I'm sure all the other podcasters around listening to us, for those who are listening, thank you and giving you a round of applause. But anyway, back to our our regularly themed show. Well, we buried the real lead. We did. Which is the reason I wanted to get a good state job is because I will now have much more money in my pocket to go out and eat food in Sacramento, which is, I mean, I don't exaggerate when I say that is the thing I am most excited about in getting this new job is now I have a little more runway to just kind of go out and eat when I want, where I want, whenever I can without having to worry about, you know, how much money is in my pocket. So yeah, for those of us think that we're trying to make money. Oh no, we're merely just trying to break even because we go eat at all these places and, 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 I, and Max has eaten with me and I've eaten with Max. There's no budget when it comes to food. And I enjoy that. That's right. Well, anyway, Neil, speaking of jobs, what would you say if you could have a job where you could drink wine, eat cheese, travel the world, and talk to people about wine and cheese? Is that something that would interest you? I mean, you had me at how about on that. Like, that sounds like (laughs) the best job in the world, and that would take a pretty spectacular person to do so, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that job is taken by our guest, Jody Bogle. And if that sounds familiar, that is because, yes, this is Jody Bogle of Bogle Wines, based right here in the Sacramento area in Clarksburg. And as we go into this podcast, I would just like to share one little story about her. When I approached her to come on the podcast, again, this is Jody Bogle of Bogle Wines. She very graciously told me, she said, hold on one sec, closed her laptop put her phone down and sat eye to eye and had a full-blown conversation with me. And it was just such a wonderful moment. She made me feel really important and cool in that moment. And it was just, that's the kind of person that Jody is. And so I am so excited to not only introduce her wines to everyone who may not know what her wines are, but just her as a person and just how wonderful and gracious she is. So go pour yourself a glass of Bogle wine, make sure your AirPods are fully charged and enjoy this podcast. Yeah, you know you've got a bottle in the fridge right now. Just go do it. 
All right. Well, Jody Bogle, thank you so much for being here on the Dine One Six. It's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. So tell us a little bit about what food in particular, but just what growing up was like, you know, <laughs> on a family farm and, and how important a role food played in it as well. Well, there were four of us kids growing up in our house and it was really interesting because as a kid, the business was just fledgling. The offices were in our house. Uh, my dad was farming alongside my grandfather before he passed away. Uh, my mom was doing the books at night, you know, for kids, sports, activities, choir. There was always somebody going a different direction. The Suburban in the days before everybody had an SUV, you know, you have the <laughs> Suburban and um, we were always running. So there was... There were a lot of casseroles. My dad, who didn't particularly believe that casserole was an entire meal, always had cooked a piece of meat or something to share. So it was, meals were really simple growing up. And it wasn't until I want to say I was in high school that our dad, you know, drove tractor a lot all day. He listened to Paul Harvey. And so he would come <laughs> home with these recipes He'd want to try something fancy, something on croute or a leg of lamb. And so our dad was really the one who experimented in the home with trying new things. That was fun to watch. And holidays, of course, were always very big and festive with so much food. So tell us a little bit about the history of the winery. I mean, as Neil said before you came in here, anyone who's been in California has had a glass of Bogo wine at one time or another, right? So tell us a little bit about the family history, the winery history. Our family has been farming in the Delta region since the 1870s. AJ, yep, AJ Bogle came west from Tennessee in the 1870s when everybody was coming out and trying to find gold. He came out and found gold in agriculture. He settled south of Clarksburg and began farming orchards of peaches, pears, cherries. That whole region was being settled as the breadbasket to feed people coming into San Francisco and Sacramento mm -hmm. on their way up to the hills. So we have these fantastic historical pictures of these barges just filled with ears of corn or ducks or hay bales, you know, all this food being sent up and down the river to basically service these growing metropolises. So our family settled during that time and actually in the 1930s during the Great Depression lost those original land holdings. Oh, wow. And my grandfather was a kid at the time, a teenager, 11 or 12 years old, maybe 13. And I have to imagine that was pretty performable for him to have lost the land that your parents farmed, the dirt you played in, the home you mo he most certainly was born in was just all gone. And so his parents moved north to Merritt Island and became tenant farmers for another family. And I heard a story one time about how my grandfather every day went to school in his one pair of overalls, cleaned and pressed, but didn't have any shoes. People always ask, who would you have that one meal with? And I don't know if, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have a lot of meals with a lot of people, but certainly my grandfather would have a seat at the table and I'd love to ask him about not only that time, but about the impetus for him being the first person to plant grapes in Clarksburg. The story I heard uh, is that he wanted to try something in 1968 that he didn't have to replant every year. Mm. So he planted potatoes and they all immediately died. And so he had somebody come out and take a look. And the gentleman said, Mr. Bogle, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened to your potatoes, but this is beautiful country for wine grapes. So he planted 10 acres of Chenin Blanc and 10 acres of Petit Syrah. 
He got the petite Syrah cuttings from Jim Concannon, well-known wine-growing family down in the Livermore area. And he got the Chenin Blanc cuttings from a guy named Skinny in Lodi. <laughs> and there is a story there, and we just have to speculate what it is because sure. I, we don't know. But I, I'm sure there's a story there. So, yeah, he planted just 20 acres of grapes. They flourished. So that was the beginning of the Clarksburg AVA as we know it. Yeah. So. So it could have That's been the wild. Bogle family vodka business if it hadn't been for it that. It could right. have been. <laughs> Absolutely. You went from the transition from doing all the farming, lost the farm. Like, what was he planting before the uh, the, pota- sure. the potatoes? So I, I did leave out a little gap there. So he, my grandfather, went to California Agricultural School, which is now UC Davis, got a two-year degree, and then joined the Navy and mm. fought in the Pacific Arena during World War II. And when he came back, he had saved enough money to put down roots again. And so he was able to buy our first acreage on Merritt Island, which is our home ranch today. So he was able to kind of firmly root our family again. And so from that point, from the late 40s until 1968, he was a row crop, crop farmer. He grew corn, safflower, wheat, you know, Clarksburg, tomatoes. Sugar beets. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of row crops in the area at that time. But he was really well known for growing corn. And so the leap from corn to wine grapes was pretty huge. Yeah. And um, up until he passed away in 1989, I don't think he was entirely sure that he didn't want to go all in on wine grapes because, you know, as someone who lived through that Great Depression, right? stay diversified. But when he passed away, it was our dad who said, you know what? It's time to fish or cut bait. And he really, truly felt that the future for the family business was in wine grapes. From 1968 to 78, we had grown exclusively just for other wineries. It wasn't until 1978 that we put it in the bottle under our own name. Okay. So in 1978, and I want to say in that year, it was a couple hundred cases made in the garage by somebody's uncle who was Italian who knew <laughs> how to make wine. Yeah. And that was our first vintage. But it continued to grow. And my dad and my mom were were just devoted to that business. They gave everything to it. And so I grew up in a household watching these people work so hard to create something that they loved and that were, they were very passionate about. Now, when did you know you were going to be a part of the business? I didn't actually at all <laughs> know I was going to be a part of the business. I still don't actually. No, <laughs> just kidding. When I grew up, the offices were in our house. As I said, the, you know, we had a salesperson, we had a winemaker, my dad was farming. My mom was doing the books. I had worked through high school out in the fields as a kid and hated every minute of it. All my friends were lifeguarding at the school pool or they were working in the pear sheds, packing, you know, friends all working together. My dad said, why would I, why? No, you can't, no, you can't go work in the pear sheds. I have a perfectly good vineyard right here. So I would get up and I'd work with the crew and I'd have to be out in the field at 6 a.m. I'd be done at 4.30 And it was brutal, man. It's such hard work. I hated it. But looking back today, I'm so grateful that I had that experience and that opportunity because it showed me how much effort and work goes into every single bottle. So I'm really grateful for it now. Was not happy about it then. And so I got out of Dodge. I mean, I I went up to a small liberal arts school outside of Portland, Oregon, got my English degree, and I was a teacher 
for about five years. What, what grade? You, I taught junior high. Okay. Because what do you do with an English degree? Sure. Right? I, <laughs> yeah. loved, I loved to read. I really, you know, I didn't have a real plan other than just I wanted to study English literature. And so I parlayed that into a teaching credential. Gosh, that was in the mid-90s. I was working in Portland. I just got my first job, a little farming community outside of Portland, which I loved. It reminded me of Clarksburg, mm-hmm. right? But I was seeing the wine in places in Portland, which was crazy to me because here I am, you know, 600 miles away from home and, oh my gosh, there's Bogle wine on the <laughs> shelf. And I'll never forget, I had a colleague, one of my best friends today still, we were teaching together. It was her first year teaching as well. And so we were lesson planning at her house. I had gone over. She's like, oh, hey, I have something for you. So she comes out of her kitchen with a bottle of Bogle. She's like, it's got your name on it. Have you seen this? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I've seen that. So I was starting to feel... I would, I, and I would come home and visit and I'd come home for summers and, and just, there was so much going on. It was so exciting. We'd hired another salesperson and there was somebody helping the winemaker and it was growing and there was a palpable excitement about the new markets we were selling to. Mom and dad were, you know, mom drug dad to Chicago to go meet the distributor there mm-hmm. and, you know, just really cool stuff like that. And so I was kind of starting to feel the pull to come back and work at the business. And then my dad passed away. Mm. pretty suddenly. And so there was no question. It was pack the U-Haul, move home, and be a part of this thing that they were building. Uh, My brother did the same thing. He was a senior at Chico in ag business, and he came home immediately. And so he took over the farming duties that my dad had been doing. My mom obviously continued what she was doing, but she took it all on, right, running the winery, managing everybody who was working there. And we had just, uh, she had just built a little tasting room. So I took that on and started working in the tasting room. And so that was kind of the start of me coming back. And gosh, that's been 20, 25, 26 years now. Wow. So yeah, crazy. <laughs> How much did you know about wine at the time? You grew up on a winery. Oh, not like, much. Okay. No, I remember coming home and going to like the company Christmas party. I think we, we went to um, Rio City Cafe, right? Down on the, <laughs> they were one of our first, um, they were one of our first on-premise accounts, right? Great supporter at the time. They had our wine on the wine list. I remember going, there were like, 12 or 15 people at the company lunch and me having a glass of Merlot and just going, oh, I can't drink that. I need something. And I remember one of the sales girls was like, here, have some orange muscat. Try that. <laughs> because I just didn't have a palate for it at all. Yeah, I didn't drink a lot. You know, they'd give it mom and dad because of a little sip at Christmas or whatever, but I didn't have a palate. I didn't really know what I was seeing. So that was definitely a time where I was developing my, my, you know, early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s. I was developing my palate, learning about wine. I took a couple courses at UC Davis on, you know, wine sensory analysis and things like that. So just learning more about it and learning how to identify traits and dry, sweet, tannic, that kind of thing. It was, it was fun. It was a good time. So. Yeah. It's funny how much you learn what you want to be a part of later in your 20s, too. Like, we're at 18 to 25. You have no idea who you are. Like, just wake up and get through the day and call that a success. (laughs) Now, so you started, this was the end of the 90s when you came back and started working. When did the awards start rolling in? Because I know you guys have won the American Winery of the Year at one point. When did things really start kicking up? It took a little while to get there. Yeah, obviously, and a lot of hard work. So talk us through that. I will say that the popularity of Bogle really took off in the late 
90s with two wine writers, John Brescher and Dorothy Gator from the Wall Street Journal. They wrote something called the Dow Jones Merlot Index and the Mm. Dow Jones Chardonnay Index. And they were writing about value wines, value wines for the price. And so for two or three years in a row, they list our Chardonnay and our Merlot topped that list. And so it's one thing to get, you know, a wine enthusiast score or to get a mention in Wine Spectator. But when the Wall Street Journal writes about you, the readership on that is huge. And we had people who would come into the tasting room with the Wall Street Journal like folded under their arm and hand it to me and say, I want to try this wine. I want to buy this wine. So for us, the popularity of the brand and the being a name that people recognized really took off from that point. Our winemaking team was established at that point. Our winemaker, Eric Offit, started in 1994. So he, you know, gosh, 30 years he's been with us. Yeah. So he was really diving into the quality of the wines and how to make wines that really stood above and beyond those in our competitive set for quality and developing a style that people recognized as kind of the bogle style of winemaking. Very approachable, fruit up front, great balance, good structure on the finish, nice tannins, but just being very, very approachable and very varietally correct from start to finish. Mm. And that's a style that we've maintained consistently all these years. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Now you've mentioned you started with the Petite Syrah Mm -hmm. and the Chenin, then you mentioned the Merlot and the Chardonnay, are there any other varietals that you guys do, or is there one that you're most... We have, oh my goodness, we have so many varietals, especially if you come out to Home Ranch to have a tasting experience out there. We have our traditional line of Bogle Family Vineyards, which is eight different wines from a Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Grigio, all the way to a Zinfandel and the Petit Syrah, Cabernet, all the kind of traditional varietals. But at the Home Ranch, we have anywhere between 10 and 12 different wines that are only available at the home ranch. Single vineyard wines from, you know, a certain vineyard. We have some fun varietals that are different. You know, Eric says, hey, I want to try a Albarino. Let's bring some fruit in and see what we can do with it. So while we have the Bogle Family Vineyards line, which is our traditional line that you're going to find nationwide, right, available at retail, we have a line of wines that are only available at the home ranch, and it allows our winemaking team to really have some fun and yeah. just kind of stretch their creative muscle. Winemaking is really amazing because it's an art and a science. One of the things that I'm really proud of is we do make quite a bit of wine to be available nationwide. You yeah. kind of have to. Yeah. But we make it in a way, the same way we used to make wine 20 years ago. Mm. We're doing small lot winemaking. Every single field lot that we pick, so every single field of Chardonnay, every single field of Merlot, every single field of Cabernet is picked, crushed, vinified separately. So at any given time at the winery, we may have 600 different lots of wine in various states of process. In the fall, it's going through fermentation. Maybe it's barrel aging. Maybe it's in a tank. 600 different lots. And the winemakers, Eric, at the head of that, it's crazy how they, they know where everything is. It's almost like having a photographic palette. It's, it's remarkable. <laughs> yeah. I, could never, I could never do it. After the third or fourth wine, I'm like, yeah, I, it tastes, I can't differentiate. But they have this amazing ability to keep track of everything. And, and it really shows 
in our winemaking. It also allows us to trace quality all the way back to the vineyard. So we can work with a piece of property. So those first 20 acres that my grandfather planted have now grown to 2,000 estate acres. Wow. So my brother, Warren, farms 2,000 estate acres, most of it in the Delta. We have one vineyard out in the Lodi area, and we have one vineyard up in the Sierra Nevada foothills. So we're farming 2,000 acres with most of that coming into our own winemaking production. But we're also sourcing fruit from around the state. Mm -hmm. We're seeking out the highest quality areas. You know, we bring in Merlot from Sonoma. We're bringing in some Central Coast Chardonnay. We're bringing in Pinot Noir from the Russian River Valley, one of arguably one of the best regions to grow Pinot in the U.S., Zinfandel from Lodi and the Foothills. So we're sourcing fruit from partners who we work with year over year and bringing in the absolute best fruit we can to blend with our state fruit for our wines or to make specific wines. So for example, we make an old vine Zinfandel and our it's average 60 to 80 year old vines. Now we don't have any vines that are that old and we don't have any vines that have the characteristics that Eric and the team are looking for, for an old vines Infidel. So we're sourcing our old vines Infidel from Lodi and Amador from those head trained and dry farm vines that produce very low yields, highly concentrated grapes that really produce that Zinfandel that we're looking to create. So. One of the other things I love about Bogle is that they are not only local to Sacramento, but they're still family run too, which in my opinion is kind of like a double gold star. But, you know, keeping your family here and working with those you love and trust, like, you know, my sister and I have not always had the ideal relationship, but especially now later in our years, like I would love to work with my sister. I think that sounds like so much fun and so cool. And I'm just glad they're continuing on that tradition in Sacramento. Yeah, third generation family business owners is rare. I actually, in my other job, produce a podcast. It's all about family businesses in Sacramento. And like that jump from second to third generation is something they're always talking about how difficult it can be and how muddled it can be. And yet this is the generation that took Bogle from this hardworking small family winery to this juggernaut that it is today. And it's, I mean, dude, that part about 600 lots at any one time of grapes going on, like that is, this is where I really started to get an understanding of just how big a wine producer Bogle is. And I love how much quality and the way, you know, the way they produce their wine is the same way her mom and dad, the same way her grandfather were doing it from the beginning as well, but they're doing it at just this massive scale, which is really cool. And not only family owned, but, you know, some of the same farmers and the same winemaker for over 30 years now, which is really, really it's cool. It's also great how they fell into like the perfect roles at, at the winery too. Warren is running all the vineyards and everything that goes along with the farming. Ryan, who's a numbers guy, got to take over as the supreme bean counter. And then Jody gets to be the social butterfly that she is and sell her family's product. And she is wildly good at it, as I've seen from a first person point of view. And so let's jump back in here as we learn how they grew from a little winery in Clarksburg to a brand known worldwide. We touched on you took over the tasting room when you came back, but what's your role today? So Warren <laughs> kind of does the Warren's, agricultural yeah. side. Ryan so, is the, the numbers guy. Yep. So Warren is the president of the company and our vineyard director. Ryan is vice president and CFO. 
and I am, my technical title, I guess, is VP of Consumer Relations. So that's kind of a catch-all for a lot of different things. Sure. Um, I, I manage, as I said, I still kind of oversee the home ranch experiences, whether hospitality, tasting, events. I also handle our international sales. So I, last week I was at the Vancouver International Wine Festival. A couple weeks ago I was in Germany at Provine. So Bogle not only is available in all 50 states, we are sold, believe it or not, in 30 different countries. So that keeps me pretty busy as well. Yeah, that is. So do you need an assistant? Bye, Max. Sorry. (laughs) It's always so much fun to uh, hear from people who are traveling around the world and saying, oh my gosh, I saw your wine in Denmark. I had your wine at a restaurant in Aruba. I was in New Zealand and your Chardonnay was on the shelf. So it's very exciting. I mean, it's exciting for me too. Like I'm traveling to places and seeing it and I know it's there, but it still just blows me away. So it's, well, it's also seeing your hard work come to fruition too. It's like you put all, you know, you contacted the right people and did all those things. And to see it there, it's like, it's kind of like mowing the lawn. It's like, aha, I it, did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're very lucky that we've had such amazing support from our consumers all these years. People have enjoyed purchasing the wine, tasting it at our home ranch, bringing a bottle home to their friends and family. We have people who, when they have guests from out of town, bring them to the winery. They're just so proud to share their little hidden gem, their little, hey, this is our winery. And Mm -hmm. my goal with the home ranch is that everybody feels at home there. It's my home ranch, but we want it to be your home ranch too. And we want people to feel like when they come, they're part of the family so that they can take that feeling and share that as well. Because that, for me, that's what wine and food by extension is all about. It's about gathering and coming together and and finding these beautiful connections between people and between cultures and, and just really enjoying some of those simple things, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. I love the approachability that you take towards wine. Like I I grew up in Napa and Napa very much has this like level of excellence to it. And they think they're the coolest people in the world. And I feel like coming from Napa. Well, then they're, they, they're amazing wines. They are, but it it felt very elite growing up. Whereas with you, I feel like it's very much like, no, come hang out, be a part of this. And I think that's really, really awesome. So you talked about like, you're doing this wine and cheese thing this weekend. How do wine and food go together so well? How do you view that? For me... I like to break down the constructs and the rules, right? Okay, we're having fish, so we have to have white wine. Or I think people, like you said, Neil, they take it so seriously and feel like they have to do it a certain way. And we just want people to enjoy it. Let us take it seriously. We'll take it seriously. We'll make it seriously. We're going to work really hard to produce the absolute best bottle of wine that can be on your table from the Bogle family. But once it's on your table, just enjoy it. If you want to have that reserve bottle of Cabernet with, you know, Cheez-Its, go for it. I mean, I I do believe now I do believe that there are certain pairings and certain things that go well together. And sometimes when you find a food and wine pairing like that, that just sings. Oh, it's just it's beautiful moment. Right. But for every moment like that, there's which wine are we going to have with takeout tonight because it's Wednesday mm-hmm. and we survive Wednesday. So <laughs> what, what wine are we having tonight? <laughs> I, like I'm trying to, I mean, I mean, I knew Bogle was a large 
company with a big reach, but the reach of the company is wild. And for that to be an agricultural company where you can't just flip the factory machine on to say, make more, we got another account, make more boxes of Cheez-Its. Like, (laughs) you know, so how does that work? How do you guys sort of grow the business and sort of make decisions on buying new land and do all this? And have you had to say no at certain times where people want to carry your wine and you just have to say to a distributor, like, we can't do that at the level of quality we're used to. We always make it work. We never (laughs) say no. Eric is a miracle worker. Sometimes that means robbing Peter to pay Paul to, hey, we're going to, you know, not have as much Sauvignon Blanc for this little project over here because the Sauvignon Blanc's on a tear right now. We want to make sure we're meeting our commitments. But rarely has that happened. We work with projections one year, two year, three year, five years out. So we're looking ahead. We are not only with just the winemaking, but it starts all the way back at grape sourcing. So we have someone, Chris has actually been with us since 1992 and is our director of wine growing. So his job is to work with our grower partners to make sure that we are looking far enough out and we do have those grapes to be able to work with and to be able to meet the needs. I mean, and that was how the business really grew in the 2000s and the 2010s, right? We didn't say we want to get to this big round number. Mm -hmm. We were simply trying to meet demand and take care of our customers. And we were very lucky that we were able to do so in a way that we were making all the wine the way we wanted to. We didn't have to take shortcuts or put something in the bottle that we weren't proud of. So I think as a family, for us, that being able to meet that need and to be able to do so in a way that ties with our values of, you know, quality and consistency and sustainability at the same time was really important. So sort of the North Star of the company, as much as we're going to grow, this is start from that quality, that sort of family touch, all that, and then out from there. When your name is on the bottle. Yeah, that's right. That's the absolute most important thing. Yeah. Without a doubt. I know Warren and Ryan feel that way. And Eric, our winemaker, feels that way too. And his his last name isn't even Bogle, so. yeah. <laughs> but he feel but he you know we all feel so strongly about maintaining the integrity of the brand. How important has that stability been for the company? Because you've now mentioned, I mean, the three of you obviously are family, and then your winemaker's been there since '94, and the director of vineyards, Chris, mm-hmm. you said, has been there since 1992. Yeah. How much has that stability been a part of the success? We are so grateful to have an amazing team of people. We have people who've been with us for five years, 10 years, 20, 30. I mean, we have people who've spent their whole careers with Bogle. And we also have multi-generational families working for us as well. Husbands and wives, sons and fathers working for us. It's very important for us that the family part of Bogle Family Vineyards extends much past Warren, Ryan, and myself. Mm -hmm. It is our entire community of, of staff that is a part of Bogle Family Vineyards. And we try very hard to keep that culture growing. It's hard as you grow. We have, gosh, almost 200 employees now. So it's hard to maintain that. And that's a discussion my brothers and I have frequently. How do we keep that culture, that feel going when we have so many employees? And it's, it's not easy, but it's something we work hard at all the time. 
well, something you're obviously doing right if these people are just not leaving. <clears throat> that's obviously showing signs that they're happy and everything is going right. And that's really awesome. I want to pivot a little bit because you talked about one, two, and three, your forecasts. Looking at weather now and like dryness versus wetness from this year, how much does that have an effect on your wines and grapes and things like that? Or is it to be determined? So because we control our 2000 acres, we have a much better handle on knowing what's going to come in every year. And Warren works really hard to make sure that regardless of the weather conditions, whether it's couple years of drought or a lot of water, that the quality in those grapes is still the number one priority. And so we're really lucky that because we can control that, you know, we're not getting grapes that maybe got too much water toward the end of the season and aren't as concentrated. You know, everybody says it, but quality starts in the vineyard and it's mm -hmm. absolutely true. We also have contracts with our grower partners. And I think the contracts are important, but because we have relationships with them, we have high standards and they know it. And, you know, these partnerships, a lot of them started with handshake deals 15, 20 years ago. And we expect a lot from our growers and we, we pay them for that. All of our growers are also a part of the California Rules for Sustainable Wine Growing Program. We pay them more per ton for every ton of grapes because they're certified. We pay mm. them more. So we're rewarding them for that hard work and for that quality of fruit. But that's the right thing to do because it gives us such a fantastic canvas from which to create those wines. Yeah. That's so cool. And now I'm thirsty. <laughs> That's new. I know. I feel really bad. I, I was in the car and I'm like, damn it. I should have, I didn't even bring any wine. That's all right. <laughs> it's the AM. Sorry. I think yeah. we're okay on that. I no, appreciate I know, it. But to, for you guys to take home later and have with your takeout, it's Wednesday. No. It's Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mentioned... You mentioned working as a teenager <laughs> on the farm. And as you said, you start as an agricultural company. You're not just a winemaker who's pulling grapes elsewhere. You grow a lot of your own grapes. So how has that connection also given extended your appreciation to just agriculture in general and living here in Sacramento and really having a good understanding of how that stuff gets to the farmer's market, gets to the supermarket, that sort of thing? Well, at the end of the day, we are stewards, of this land and it's important to take care of it so that it can continue to produce. We live in such a rich agricultural region. I mean, that's why AJ settled here all those years ago. I'm so grateful. I know my brothers are grateful that we've been able to kind of stay, you know, Clarksburg is still fairly untouched. Mm -hmm. It's that little gem that, I mean, you talk to people from 10 miles away in South Sacramento, where's Clarksburg? Where's that? Yeah. So for us being able to kind of maintain things the way they've been done down there for generations is really been exciting just because we have, we feel like we kind of have our little corner of the world and, and it's just such a wonderful place to be such a wonderful place to live. I'm so grateful that until a year ago or so I was raising my kids in the house that I was raised in. So just kind of, it's afforded us such a wonderful life to be able to be here in Sacramento and then 15 minutes up the road, you're downtown at a Kings game or at a Republic game or, you know, seeing a concert, watching a play. It's just really, I think Sacramento is just an amazing place to be. So we feel very fortunate to call it home.
the more I listen back to this podcast, the more I'm just reminded of what a cool Sacramento story this is and her appreciation for Sacramento, the connection they have to the land going back for such a long time. I love how sustainability is a big part that they are certified sustainable winery and all the grape growers that they buy additional grapes from are held to the same standard. It's just, it's a really cool story of a well-run business that creates fantastic wine for all of us to get to drink here in Sacramento. From top to bottom too, I actually had the benefit of working at Rio City Cafe for a couple of years. And so I got to pour some of the Bogle wine there. For those that know me, I'm not a big wine drinker, to be honest, but I got to try some of their wines there and they're really good. And I, of course, like we mentioned, you know, I knew them from Safeway shelves and things like that. But then getting into the restaurant industry here and learning the fantastic wines they make as well. They're not just the the best bang for your buck wines, but if you go to any of the higher end restaurants here in Sacramento, you'll find a lot of their stuff on their menus as well. Their higher end collection has some great stuff that's really, really good and goes with the great quality food here we have in Sacramento. Yeah, that's what makes them such a cool brand. And that's what makes their brand so big and successful is it's not just the wines we all recognize from Bogle, but they really have a huge catalog of wines ranging across the spectrum from styles and price points. And I would encourage people to go to the home ranch or like you said, just go check out their website and find some of the other wines that you haven't heard of from Bogle. And we're going to let Jody right now talk a little bit more about some of her favorite wines and some of these other wines that Bogle is producing. We're going to dive in a little bit here. What's your favorite wine from your winery? It's like asking me which of my kids I, I love know. the most. There is always an answer. <laughs> it changes though, right? right? So so I love our Sauvignon Blanc. I think it just is so great. It has It has bright fruit up front, a nice kind of mid-palate softness, and then just this beautiful, crisp finish. It's on a warm day. I love Sauvignon Blanc. Our rosé is pretty remarkable as well. Easy to drink. I love our Reverence, which is one of our reserve selections that's only available at the Home Ranch. It's a Bordeaux-style blend. So that's a really fun one, kind of an homage to our parents and grandparents Mm. in reverence to their hard work. We have our Juggernaut Wines, are very exciting. We launched those just a couple years ago. We have a Hillside Cabernet, a Russian River Pinot Noir, and we've just released a Sonoma Coast Chardonnay. And the labels are really exciting. They've got some fantastic illustrations of alpha predators. The Chardonnay's really fun. It's a great white shark. It's your next great white. Nice. Oh, that's good. I like that. Being, of course, that it's from the Sonoma Coast, you know, it's got a good bite of acid. Oh, the marketing team's just teeing this up for us, right? So (laughs) much fun. But the wine is amazing. We had a lunch yesterday for one of our distributor reviews, actually, and we did an Asian chicken salad. And oh, it was a really nice pairing with it. So. Who are you outside <laughs> of the winery? I know you mentioned you're an English major. So, I mean, who are you? What do you like to do on your on your Wednesday night takeout nights? Oh, Wednesday night, you know, I'm a mom. I'm a busy mom. I got I have two kids and so when I'm not working, I am trying to just keep my house in order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have one who's going off to college in the fall, so oh, that's wow. really crazy to me. So then there will be just one. So really it's just about getting my daughters where they need to be and when and keeping on top of those responsibilities. But when I have a little bit of time just for me, which is rare, 
I mean, what I love to do, I love to travel. So really I'm dovetailing my passions with my work. I'm so lucky. I get to travel and meet people and talk about wine and food. And it's really simple, but I love taking walks out in the vineyard and just breathing the beautiful, you know, being out in the country is just amazing to me. It's where I grew up. And so I love it. Love to read, still love to read all that, you know, the English literature didn't go too far that, that love. So yeah, I'm busy, but I'm really very, very truly blessed. Is it time? I think so. I do believe. So now yeah. we're going to do rapid fire. Okay, so here we go. First thing that comes to your head. <laughs> okay. Then these are food related. Okay. So what is your favorite? You could do beverage too if you wanted, mm. but food or beverage related. What is your favorite cheap guilty pleasure? Grocery store chocolate chip cookies. Which ones? Any grocery store. Not like, like not Chips not Ahoy, like, no, but like the like Safeway. Like the store brand. Oh, okay, yes. okay, okay. The ones they bake in the bakery at the yeah, store gotcha. that, you know, come out of the little discs. And yeah, yeah, I know, they're terrible, but I don't know. There's some about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree. Uh, what is a dish from your childhood you would like to go back in time to eat? Mm, chicken Rice Roger. Chicken and Rice Roger? Chicken Rice Roger. Mom used to make that. It was basically like chicken, cream of mushroom soup, and rice in a casserole dish, mm -hmm. baked, and then, you know, all together. She made yeah. that a lot. That's totally hard. <laughs> I haven't had that good. in a long time. Lots of minced, you know, dried minced onions yeah. thrown in there, dried parsley. Nice. All the stuff from the pantry. If you did remake that now, what, what class of wine are you going to have with it? Maybe our Russian River Pinot Noir. <laughs> you try to class it up <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> What's your favorite dish to cook at home? Chicken cacciatore. Ooh. Simple. I always have all the ingredients in the fridge. You know, it's the the carrot, carrot, celery, onions. Mirepoix. Yeah. Mushrooms, can of tomatoes, chicken. Fresh herbs picked out back. We have, you know, the rosemary, thyme bushes mm. that run rampant. So I can always make it. It's always just, you know, comfort food. We're going to dive into your past year. What is one book you would recommend everyone read this summer? It doesn't have to be your favorite, but what would you recommend? East of Eden, John Steinbeck. Big, I'm a big Steinbeck fan. Loved that. It's a good one. I'll put that on the list. Yeah. It's a classic. I've got The Pearl. I don't have that one, though. Oh, I love the Pearl. I used to teach the Pearl. Oh, yeah? To the eighth graders. Yep. That's a good one. Favorite TV or film food-related? Oh, popcorn. Oh, not food. Like sorry. Uh, oh, like food-related. Oh. <laughs> let me rephrase that question. Let me rephrase that, that question so it's coherent. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite food <laughs> TV show or movie? I like Chopped. Chopped. Chopped is fun. Um, it's quick and short. Um, my little one is a huge fan of Gordon Ramsay. So we watch a lot of MasterChef Junior. You know, mm, we don't let her right. watch the ones where he's screaming profanities at people. Yeah. But. No Hell's Kitchen. No. And we just went to the UK. I was working and it was around spring break. So I took the family, which was amazing. And so we went to, we didn't go to his posh restaurants. We went to one of his burger joints and she just thought that was the coolest thing ever. She was like, oh. She's like, do you think he's in the kitchen? I'm like, he might be. I don't know. Just have to listen. <laughs> it was so cute. That's, That's fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, Jody Bogle, thank you so much for coming on the Dine One Six. It was really, really great to have you. Max and Neil, thank you so much. Come visit us at the Home Ranch. Absolutely. Definitely will. For a tasting experience or just a bottle of wine out on the patio. Oh, my goodness. Now that the weather's brightening up a little bit, it's just uh, it's going to be gorgeous out there this summer. So yeah. you have an open invitation anytime. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank and you. everyone listening, please go out there as well. Please. We'd love to have you. Well, Neil, this episode was a bit of a departure for us in that it was a beverage episode and not a food episode. However, I had just as much fun as I always have hearing people talk about their stories of their companies, their businesses, and what they're creating in the food and beverage business here in Sacramento. Bogle is a unique Sacramento success story, and it was really an honor to have Jody on to tell us all about it. Yeah, you know, I actually wasn't, I didn't get hungry this episode, but I did get it pretty thirsty. I will tell you what, I would love a Chenin Blanc from Skinny's Lot in Lodi (laughs) to parch my tongue right now. Jody was so lovely to have on. And these are the kind of people we want to support here in Sacramento. The people that get down and work with everyone who treat everyone as family. Not if it's not even if their last name isn't Bogle. She treats everyone with such care and is so nice to everyone that it's hard not to root for them. And I'm so glad they're thriving here with us locally. Yeah. So again, go on Bogle's website. We'll put a link in the show notes. Check out all the different labels and offers that they have. Find where you can get a glass of something unique from Bogle's Winery in Sacramento. You will no doubt find all sorts of wine you want, or go visit Jody at the home ranch. She'll take you through a tasting. She'll give you a high five. You cannot have a bad time with Jody at home ranch. I guarantee you that. Yeah, no doubt. If you go down there, she is going to treat you like family, just like you said. Well, we hope you like this episode of the Dine One Six. If you did, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and send it to friends and family. You know you've got friends and family in Sacramento who've been drinking Bogle. You know you got friends all over the state who have been drinking Bogle. They want to hear the story of Bogle Wines. It is a really cool, interesting one. So send it around. That's how the show grows. That's how we get more subscribers. That's how we're able to bring you new episodes. Please share it with friends and family. When you send it to friends and family, we're on every podcast app. You could share it that way, or you can just send them our website, dine16.com. They can listen right from there or subscribe from there. That's a super easy way to share it around with people. You can follow us on Instagram at dine16 is the handle. Our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law, Mark Owens. The Dine 16 is a production of the Hear Me Now studio here in Sacramento. Keep an eye out on your podcast feed for our next episode. And as always, go out there and eat something you love. Drink something you love with someone you love.